Welcome to the Profitable Farmer Podcast, where it's all about increasing the profitability of your farm by working smarter, not harder. G'day and welcome to Profitable Farmer 2020. Happy New Year. Wonderful to have you joining us. This podcast is a really important one. 2020 has started in a way that perhaps none of us predicted or hoped for with extreme and adverse fire events across much of this great country. Um, To those affected, our thoughts and prayers are with you. Um, To our clients and others, you have our support. And it's with that in mind that this podcast, we have asked Troy and Nettie Fisher um, to join us. Troy and Nettie farm at Wolseley, which is an hour north of Adelaide. Um, they have a white Suffolk stud. And in on the 25th of November 2015, they were completely wiped out by a fire event that saw them lose their property, all their farm infrastructure, um, their shedding, um, their white Suffolk entire ewe flock. Um, they managed to retain some lambs a thousand lambs and their home. Thankfully, their children um, and they were um, well and survived, but they, um, in this podcast, they share their quite incredible recovery effort. Um, four years on, they find themselves strong and in a really good um, business position. Um, their recovery effort and the way they navigated the the months and years that followed were exceptional. And so as motivation and inspiration for those of you who are directly affected, I introduce Troy and Nettie to you. And to those of you who are looking to support people you love um, who have been fire affected, um, be it family, friends or others in your community, um, this podcast will give you some wonderful tips and techniques and tactics um, as to how best to turn up in the short term and ongoing for those that are directly affected by the recent fires. So it's with that in mind that I introduce Nettie and Troy Fisher to you. Thanks. Thanks, Jeremy. Good to be here. How are you both? Um, What's... um January and this new year, how's it playing out for you? And is there any um, real threat for you by way of fire in your area at this time? Uh, yeah, so we are um, full speed ahead into um, breeding cycle. So rams in with ewes and getting ready for artificial breeding programs and embryo programs. Um, we've had a number of really um, well, catastrophic fire danger days, but pleasingly nothing has happened on those days. So um, very anxious days for us, but, um, yeah, it's, um, so far so good in that regard. It's been an amazing run of uh, hot weather conditions and huge winds. It's been quite remarkable this year, hasn't it? Yeah, sure has, yeah. But at this stage we're... Yeah, there's no problems here at all. So, we're, yeah, we're lucky. I'm pleased to hear. And um, so to launch in, um, Troy and Nettie, I guess what we wanted to cover with you was um, 
just to reflect on what happened for you back in on November 25th, 2015, um, how that played out and importantly then what are some of the things that you did to recover um, and then at the end perhaps any lessons that you reflect on now on um, how to navigate the challenging times that will be ahead for so many people in our community and then also what can um, people do to support those families so um, with that in mind would you mind just sharing with us um, what happened on the 25th of November 2015 for you and your family yeah, I'll, I'll kick off. Um, so it, it was one of those catastrophic fire danger days, a day that you hope a fire doesn't start. And uh, unfortunately, one did. Um, about 35 kilometres from, from us, uh, started about noon. Um, I checked all the waters of our sheep that morning and, and just got back in the house by, by one o'clock, I was in the house with my daughter, five-year-old daughter, and we smelled smoke. Um, that was our first warning that there was a fire approaching. Went outside and, and saw um, a monster smoke plume, not quite as big as the one on your screen, but um, something very similar, uh, barreling towards us. And so I had to make a very swift decision, uh, and that decision was to leave. Um, so I grabbed the laptops, uh, a few important documents, uh, the dog and my daughter, and we left within about five minutes. Um, and then um, 10 or 12 minutes later, our place was on fire. Uh, the fire the fire front had hit our place. Um, uh, yeah, went, went straight through the whole farm, burnt every hectare. Um, uh, uh, pretty much our entire, well, our entire youth flock were either burned or had to be destroyed um, as a result of injuries. Um, uh, and, yeah, I, I, I went to a safer place and, and met um, Nettie and the children, uh, my other child, our other child who was at school. Uh, and then a couple of hours later, went back in after the front had passed and just started putting out spot fires and... Um, you know, assessing the damage. Uh, we're, we're blessed that our two houses were spared um, through the efforts of CFS and water bombers. Uh, so that's a, a, a real blessing. Um, uh, but, yeah, our livestock losses were huge um, and quite, quite a bit of machinery loss, uh, fencing um, and vegetation, of course. How much time did you have, Troy, Um you mentioned that it came on you incredibly quickly. How much time did you have to prepare for what happened? Uh, I, I mean, our house was our house is in general quite quite well prepared um, in terms of um, fire defence, uh, but the, the, I guess the lack of warning was what caught caught us caught me out. Um, I was getting text messages after I'd left that um, you need to leave now. Um, um, so there, yeah, there were some failings in the in the um, emergency warning system. Um, so yeah, basically, 
I had five or ten minutes to, to make a decision and do something um, very quickly. Otherwise, we would have had to shelter in the house. It's quite incredible. And so you saved your home um, but lost – it burnt your entire farm, um, your farm infrastructure and all of your livestock. Is that correct? Uh, almost correct. So um, – Ninety uh, percent of our lambs survived the fire. Um, they sheltered in a, in a in a creek, which was a bit of a bare patch. A dry and, creek. Yeah. yeah, dry creek, and um, uh, yeah, they were they were spared. So we had to destroy about ten percent of them, but um, the majority of those survived. But other than that, the you know all that our core breeding flock um, all got burnt. Um, all our stud rams, etc. Yeah. It's quite amazing. And in addition to this, Nettie, speaking with you recently, you shared that um, your second child um, had arrived to you in the um, weeks leading up to this event. Would you mind just sharing what else was going on for you at this time? Uh, yeah, sure, Jeremy. Uh, actually, our third um, daughter, Sorry, but that's fine. Um, yeah. Which in some ways it prepared us, you won't believe it, but it prepared us really well for this event um, because uh, three and a half, sort of four months earlier, um, we'd had a pretty massive upset in the family. Um, and so because we'd come through that pretty well, um, not saying we felt invincible, but we just, yeah, we had great perspective on what's important in life and, yeah, what's important in life is um, your family's health. Um, that's number one. So, yeah, we had um, – it was still pretty busy on the farm, but it was school holidays, so I took our oldest two daughters to Queensland with my mum um, and I was uh, 22 weeks pregnant with our third daughter then. Um, and, yeah, while we were in, in Queensland, I accidentally um, – yeah, went into labour and had a baby in Townsville. Um, and because, she, yeah, she was in, ended up being born at 24 weeks. So um, she was 640 grams when she was born. So she could not fly. Um, so we got stuck in Queensland for, yeah, almost four months. Um, yeah, so we, we flew when she was stable enough and on the right level of ox, low flow oxygen, then we were able to fly, uh, her, fly her to the... Adelaide Women's and Children's Hospital. So, um, yeah, we're only home for a day and a half before the fire. Mm. So you were in hospital in Adelaide when the fire arrived to you? Yes. Wow. And nursing and supporting a newborn, um, quite incredible. Yeah, yeah. And I guess there's lots of other people that are being affected by fires now that you know, have other things going on in their lives that, you know, they have to still manage. So, yeah, yeah, that was a biggie though. <laughs> Unbelievable. And um, your daughter now is four years old, obviously. Um, yeah. And all's well for her. Yeah, yeah, she's fine. She's got a terrible temper, but um, she's really quite normal. Yeah, doesn't have glasses, no hearing problems. No mental problems, no disability at all. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. So not that I recommend it, but having a baby in Queensland is pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> in winter too. Nice and warm. Yep. 
<laughs> so what do you do when it happens now? So just reflecting back, um, Troy, what were your first steps um, early after the fire had gone through? Um, how did you navigate that and and what were the um, things you did first and then some of the key decisions you had to turn your mind to? Well, the immediate, I'm assuming you mean on the day of, um, yeah. the immediate thing, there was just things burning all around the place, um, tr you know, trees next to the house on fire, um, truck, a, a truck full of grain on fire, um, uh, yeah, basically just put, putting out things that would threaten the homes were probably the first priority um, and spent most pretty much all the first night doing that. Um, got up every hour and a half to just check uh, around the block, uh, around the house yard to see um, that nothing had flared up. Um, and, um, you know, the following 24 hours was really start to assess the, the damage, you know, the stop, um, the impact on the stock, what to do with them. Um, pretty much the next morning, Nettie and I, made a swift decision to, you know, we decided that I'd be on dead stock and she'd be on livestock, if, if that makes sense. So Nettie rounded up anything that was, well, basically our lambs that survived um, the event and they had to be assessed for burns and those sorts of things. Um, put on water, um, supplied some, something to eat. Uh, and I, um, with the help of some of the Adelaide University vets, set about the grisly task of putting down um, all the other sheep, like basically destroying them. And then uh, a, a small army of mates arrived on that day and, and helped them, helped us um, dispose of them. Um, so, um, yeah, in terms of ground zero, the worst part of the whole event, that was definitely it, picking up all the dead stock and, and putting them in a hole was, was bloody horrible. Um, and I know there's been a fair bit of that going on on Kangaroo Island. Um, yeah, it's 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 without doubt the worst part of the whole um, scenario. Um, and then beyond that, once once you've sort of got over that uh, awful hurdle, um, then it's really focusing, you know, not immediately, but within within a few weeks, focusing on the rebuild. Um, so what are you going to do? Um, what fences need replacing? Um, how are we going to feed the sheep that we still have? Uh, start thinking about machines that need replacing. Um, yeah, you really, once um, that immediate aftermath is over, you start to think about rebuilding and um, just how to go forward in that regard. Thank you. So what advice would you have for someone who has been directly affected in this last week by the fires um, that are present and um, given that you've been through this and you have real first-hand experience, what advice would you have for them right now? Um, well, yeah. You, you go. <laughs> well, your phone just goes bananas. Like you've you got people that are concerned, want to know you're okay and um, in between that you've just got your phone is just going crazy with people wanting to help um, 
and we just very early on, well, the, the night of the after the fire passed, we decided to just accept all offers of help, um, just get them to come here, and um, they'll either work out what to do or we'll, um, you know, do you know they can help somehow. Um, so yeah, that was probably, I think, the right decision. Like it was crazy. We had just people in our driveway, like just so many cars and youths and but yeah people just got in and helped so yeah number one would be just accept all offers of help um as long as it's safe for you so um yeah. so on, on yeah. reflection on reflection that was a, a really strong decision that I mean, overwhelmed by support but that decision that you made to perhaps swallow pride even and just accept the support that is being extended to you um you you um suggest that of people affected at this time? Yeah, I, th I, I, I do. I think farmers are a pretty proud bunch and yep. um, don't like charity. They don't like being offered help unless um, unless you're at rock bottom. And, and I think it's fair to say after events that have happened in the last few weeks and, and similarly with us four years ago, we, we were at rock bottom and we needed some help. And that help um, really contributed to getting back on our feet faster. Um, you know, there were years of work to be done. And and if people chip in and, and do a little bit here and there, um, those years shrink into a shorter time frame and you, you're back on your feet much faster. So I would certainly encourage anyone, um, you know, that might be feeling a bit proud or we don't need help, um, just accept it while it's there because in six months' time it might not be there, but the, the clean-up and the rebuild still will be. Yeah. And for those who are wanting to support someone who has been directly affected, um, what can they do? What, what are some of the things that you would suggest in the days that follow um, an incident like this that, that other farmers in the area or even people who are in town or you know, relatives from the city, how, how would you have them turn up? What, what are some of the, the things? There's the obvious and then perhaps some of the less obvious um, things, Nettie, that um, you've reflected on with us. What are some of the things you would suggest people can do to be of real support at this time? Yeah. Um, so I guess, it, there's, I guess there's skilled help and then there's less skilled help. So, um, for example, other farmers coming um, I mean, that's just amazing because they, you know, can um, drive a front end loader and unload a truck with some hay or feed out some hay or fix a fence or, or you know, I mean, there's just so much of that that can be done. Um, and so that's obviously highly valuable. Um, but if there's people that are, of you know, that are not farmers, um, there's still heaps of help that can be um, offered um, definitely lots of domestic things so for example offering to do a grocery shop for the family um, bringing a meal I mean definitely I would check first to make sure that the um, we did actually get an, at the start overrun with food like we literally had no room in our fridge we had neighbours storing food for us like it got a bit crazy but Later on, it was, yeah, it was really appreciated having meals and, and people dropped off snacks for the kids and things like that. So that was that was great. Um, uh, we had some, uh, my sister and her husband and some close friends from the Barossa 
uh, replace the irrigation system in our garden, which we just would never have done because it wasn't important compared to keeping the sheep alive. So, um, but in hindsight, that was just wonderful because yeah, we wouldn't have done that for a couple of years and so our whole garden would have died. Um, and, yeah, so, yeah, if you know how to, you know, basics about irrigation, that's handy. But, I mean, there's also, it depends on what's happened on you know, the particular farm, but um, even sweeping it, like everything gets really dirty so you can just sweep out a shed or, um, yeah, um, takes, if they've got, if the family's got young children, take the kids to the movies or take them to a playground or just offer to do babysitting um, or, I mean, even down the track um, you can offer to look after someone's farm to let them have a break to go on a holiday. I mean, yeah, I've probably got an endless list, which we don't have time for. No, um, today. I encourage yeah. you, if you. If you've got other things that come to mind, Nettie, I'd love for you to continue to share those. Um, I, um, I completely, I completely understand that something like prioritising um, replacing the irrigation system would be low on the priority of things that have to be done but yet having someone do that um in support of you and that must have been really significant that um your garden got to recover and repair and that you got to enjoy that in those years that followed is that fair yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's probably, it's good for your mental health too. So, yeah. So, I mean, I guess if someone's had a farm burnt but their house isn't affected, I mean, someone has to mow the lawn and um, or, you know, people could arrive with, um, especially this time of year because hopefully we're not, we're only a couple of months away from the break of the season, um, planting some, like, say, some fruit trees or some plants in the garden Um if someone's lost their home, it's a whole different ball game. But um, uh, then things like, um, uh, well, this uh, a good friend of mine. I, I'll just read out a couple of things that she found really helpful. Um, uh, they were donated a lot of huge amount of stuff, and that actually wasn't. They had twenty two bags of clothes, um, and when they went through them, there were three items of clothing that were actually that fitted them so yeah don't yeah you gotta that's a personal thing um uh, and yeah the funniest one was um she was given um a um leopard print g-string leotard um <laughs> which is not helpful you really don't want that if you've um been burnt out so yeah you can't use that as a fan belt can you yeah, it's like, well, that's someone else has already worn it. That's just wrong. Um, so be conscious of what you do give them. But if you if your house is burnt down, you obviously you need like buy nice linen or nice clothes if you know that their size. Um, uh, books. Um, uh, um, what else is there? Yeah. Um, uh, other advice, I suppose, is to stagger the help. So immediately after, there's a huge requirement for help. Um, but months after, you're still, you know, it's still, you're still busy. So um, if you can't, if you want, if you have a friend and you want to help them, but you just can't get there now, even if you go in two months' time, it'll, even that might even be better. And 
would be, yeah. you know, really well received. So, yeah. That's um. There's so many fantastic ideas in there that I think are of real value to those who are wanting to extend their support to to friends and loved ones, but are just exploring how to do that from afar or how to do that um, later and how to turn up now. So thank you for that. Um, some really good ideas. Just just on the the leopard skin leotard um, or undies or whatever that was. What are some other things that um, and even though people were coming from just the kindness of their heart, what are some other things that that didn't land and and probably weren't the best forms of support at the time? Um, were there others that I think it's can be really useful to for for our listeners to also understand what not to do at this time? Uh, one one thing I'd chip in is um, lots of people reach out to the person affected and say, let me know what I can do to help. And um, whilst that is with the best intention, that what that does is it creates a job for the for the person that's been burnt out. And invariably they've got a thousand and one things running through their head. And the last thing they want to think about is something that that person can do to actually help. So I guess what I would say is um, – don't necessarily ask, just just show up. Show up at some point, whether it's the days and weeks after or, like Nettie said, whether it's three months later, um, just show up and 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 do something um, and it will be well received, um, yeah. Maybe send a text before you come. But oh, of course, yeah. but, don't, but, but don't wait to be told here's exactly how you can help me. Um, yeah, that's a great comment. Um, and I like the way you frame that. It just adds another task to you rather than so just just do something. And based on some of those ideas, perhaps that Nettie just shared, um, either immediately or in time. I know when when we lose a loved one, um, that often there's an overwhelming amount of support in the days and weeks that follow, but the months and you know, six months, nine months, 12 months later, often we move on with our lives. Um, maybe that's the time to um, delay your con- contribution and to, as you say, Nettie, to turn up a little later um, so that the support is spread out and and ongoing. Yeah, sure, yeah. I mean, everybody's different. Everyone has a different situation. If you have livestock, it's very different to if you're purely cropping, for example, so that, you know, um, your needs are different, I suppose. Likewise, if you've lost your home, your needs are very different to if you haven't lost your home. Um, Yeah, yeah. 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 So the recovery effort and your rebuild how long do you reflect that that took um, you both? And no doubt you worked just so incredibly hard in those years that followed. Um, my question is, how long did the rebuild take and and how did it unfold for you? Uh, I reckon we had 80 to 90% of things replaced the rebuild within two years. Okay. Um, uh, in terms of how it unfolded, I guess there's a, a few layers there. One is the sheep side of things. So, um, 
you know, we went into Christmas with zero breeding ewes. Um, by, uh, I think it was by March, we had um, about 700 stud ewes pregnant uh, and we dropped a 1,000 stud lambs um, that year, like in, in 2016. So uh, that rolls off the tongue really well, but there's a, a whole heap of work that went in to make, make that actually happen. Um, but, we, yeah, we were quite determined to not, to not let this event um, send us backwards. We, we, were, we dug our heels in um, and uh, set some clear goals from, from, you know, within a week of this happening, we, we'd worked out that we're going to rebuild and at what sort of scale and in what sort of time frame, and then we just um, head down, bum up and, and made that happen. Um, Probably another layer is, is infrastructure. So fencing was a big one for us. We, basically, we procured all these sheep. They were located um, at, at, I think, 10 properties across Australia. Uh, mm. And we had no fences, no pasture. They, they had nowhere to run. Um, so we, we, um, we got a lot of help from Blazer, who are a, a terrific bunch. Um, they helped rebuild a large proportion of our fences, replace gates, um, all that sort of thing. Uh, and they, they even helped us knock up a feed yard in, in three or four days, uh, which was pivotal in bringing the sheep home because um, this, following that event, the season didn't break until late May and so we didn't have grass until the end of June. Um, so the place was brown um, and, and we had to... We had to run these you these pregnant ewes somewhere, and so a feed yard is a perfect solution for that. So certainly for anyone with sheep, um, that's a key. If you don't already have one, that's a a, um, a key bit of infrastructure that will help uh, will help you um, go forwards. Um, what do I miss? So, 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 so putting that into place, that confinement feed yard was one of the first things that. Took place? No. Um, Should have been. Uh, been. We basically had a deadline in, in which the sheep had to come home, which was um, sort of early April, late March, early April, and I think a week before yeah. Yeah. the first load were due to come home on the truck that you see in that photo, um, we were we were putting the finishing touches on the feed yard. So it was more a matter of we really need this. Um, we can't bring their sheep home until this is ready, so we just got to make it happen. Uh, yeah, so not everything happened in a perfectly logical, um, sure. rational order, but but they did happen in the right time frame still. So Troy, you were Ashmore, Ashmore is a white Suffolk stud, and you lost all your core breeding ewes. How do you? How did you manage that? Um, lambing percentage and lambing numbers so quickly. Did you buy in replacement use? Was that the tactic there? Uh, yeah, again, there's a few layers to that story. So uh, you can't just click your fingers and find five or 600 stud use um, at that time of year of any quality. Um, and so uh, a range of things took place. So we purchased scanned in lamb ewes from other studs. We purchased empty ewes from other studs. Um, one stud loaned us 
um, a truckload of like um, about a hundred ewes. Um, other studs joined ewes and um, gave them to us. Um, so in a, you know. A, uh, a huge range of options, and they all added up to the sum total. Um, probably the um, most impressive part of that whole story was um, I contacted six of the top studs across Australia and just explained that we didn't want to start with people's culls. We, we were pretty keen to um, breed some great sheep from the get-go, and I just, just flat-out asked them whether they would contribute some of their elite females to an embryo program. Um, and over what they all said yes, all all, um, all six. And so we uh, drove around Australia and picked up twenty. It was a total of twenty ewes. They went to the AI centre for um, a couple of months and we flushed um, three hundred embryos out of them. So within the first year, we had some of the best um, the best lambs in Australia. Um, and, and that's thanks to the generosity of these breeders. They um, They'd seen what had happened and they wanted to help us out. So, um, was that was that response from them? Was that response from them somewhat overwhelming, Troy? Um, that they would um, share that genetics with you so openly? It was it was very humbling. I'll be honest. Um, yeah. This yeah, sheep breeding is an interesting community where, in a way, we're all competitors, but we're all worked together as well. Um, so it, it, it probably reflects the relationship that we have with each of them. Um, you know, we've known all these breeders for um, 20, 25 years. Um, so that, that certainly helped. Having a long-standing, strong relationship with them helped. Um, but, but, you know, your top elite females are like the goose that can lay the golden egg and, and – um, they all contributed those um, geese, so to speak, to, to us, which was very humbling and, um, yeah, terrific. It's amazing to hear that you were able to rebuild and recover um, from that stock loss just so quickly. Um, Nettie, do you have anything to add here? Um, I guess just um, when, when the fire happened and we thought, well, oh, well, number one, we just said, are we going to rebuild? And we just said, yes, we definitely are. And so that was decision number one. Um, and then I guess in the back of our minds, we're thinking, oh, gosh, everyone's going to think that, you know, we're no good anymore and oh, I don't want to buy sheep from Ashmore, rams from Ashmore because, it, you know, and we were worried about that perception. Um, and then one night we went to our local pub um, and there was a stock agent in there who um, had been drinking a fair bit, also affected by the fire, um, and he said to us, gee, you know, that's going to set you back 10 years. And that was like red rag to a ball. Like we were just like he confirmed that what we were worried about and we just said, well, we are just not going to let that happen. Um, and we needed to, I guess, tell people that, it wasn't happening and that we're business as usual. We're still, you know, yeah, we didn't want to, yeah, lose our clients that we'd worked so hard uh, to build up over the years. Um, yeah, so so that is why we, you know, the newspaper, you know, the local paper or um, ABC Landline, when they rang us, we said we didn't actually really feel like doing 
any media, but we said yes because we wanted to get the story out that we were okay and that, you know, yeah, our business is going to continue. Which is such a credit to you. It, it, it may well have been probably the last thing that you felt like doing, um, but so important to get that message out so that um, you could solve that problem and, and reduce the risk of potentially losing clients. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, you did us a favour. <laughs> it was good. Amazing. And Amazing. so then, what 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 are some of the challenges that played out for you um, thereafter? Um, you mentioned dust um, as one, and and having extremely vulnerable soil types, and and was that was that a huge problem? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, there was a map of the fire scar and it's, it was about 86,000 hectares, um, totally bare, um, exposed for about six months. And so it's a very vulnerable sort of landscape to, to wind erosion. Um, uh, and some of the soils in that area are quite sandy so they're quite prone to drift but even pretty, pretty much all soil types began to drift within days of the fire happening um, and so our attention there were local workshops on what to do and our attention turned to what to do about that um, and it appeared some form of remedial cultivation was was the answer basically trying to bring up clods or crumbs of soil uh, to the surface to hold um, any loose soil in place when the wind blew. Um, and so essentially an interesting thing unfolded. So most most farms sort of run on guidance these days on GPS, so everything's in a straight line. And so um, our neighbours, you know, were one of the first out cultivating um, and they, they cultivated their paddock just just via the AB line, as you as you know, as you logically would think. Yep. And dad, yep. my dad, to his credit, said, oh, you watch that paddock. If the wind blows along those rows, it's going to drift. And sure enough, within three days of them cultivating it, we were getting their soil into our paddock. And so dad said, we're not going to do that. We're going to um, – we're going to – try a trial a, a method of, of going in a coil pattern rather than up and back and so we did our most vulnerable patch first um, and you can see in the in the picture what that looks like um, and essentially the, the the concept there is no matter which way the wind blows um, there's a physical barrier at ground level um, to, to stop the soil drifting um, and sure enough the the, the technique worked and so we did another paddock and another paddock and eventually we did the whole farm it took it took um a few weeks to sort of get over it all um uh yeah and look quite spectacular from the air um <laughs> i hope to never see that sort of vision again but um as yes. a method it definitely worked it's quite incredible um and so much initiative shown here to um come up with that is that is that technique where did that come from? Well, my um, dad, dad sort of cited his father, my grandfather, using a similar method in the 40s during a, um, a bad drought when soil erosion was a problem then. So they 
they did a very similar thing, only with a horse and plough um, in, in, in that sort of shape. And uh, he obviously remembered that as a kid and uh, said, let's give that a try, and we did, and it, and it, and it worked. Um, everyone thought we were mad, um, but um, sometimes it pays to be different, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. It's quite amazing. So what other, what other things did you have to look out for as part of that rebuild, um, perhaps weeks and months down the track as the season unfolded? Were there other issues like that that um, you had to navigate perhaps for the first time? Oh, probably machinery loss a bit was the next biggie. Um, we had a machinery shed or a few machinery sheds uh, burn with everything in it. Um, so our ability to sow the crops, you know, we were, yeah, um, in a bit of an awkward position. Um, and we didn't have a decent front end loader. So, yeah, I guess our advice there is don't rush to replace uh, machinery because you need to buy the right kind. But having said that, if you haven't got a decent front end loader, you've got to get one straight away. Like you can't, yeah, you've got to be able to unload trucks. You, you just, you've got to have at least that. Um, but yeah, you've got to buy the right one. Um, there were there was some machinery that burnt um, that Troy and I were pretty, um, we weren't that upset about. Um, it was, we had to be very careful. Uh, Troy's dad, you know. Um, loved those machines, but yeah, we we're pretty happy to see them gone. So, but it was a big job to replace them, especially if you're buying secondhand. If you're looking in, you know, if you're shopping in the, if your budget's in the secondhand market, you've got to it just takes ages to find it all. Yeah, it's a big job. Probably another one, Jeremy, was um, yeah, we talked about the confinement feed yard and we. Um, we received a lot of donated hay, which was amazing. Uh, and the confinement feed yard helped us. Like we, we obviously fed all of that hay in the feed yard, which was a sort of a risk mitigation um, tactic in that we, we don't know what weed seeds are in this hay. We don't know what's what's in it. So we basically contained, um, you know, everything foreign of that nature in, in a one-hectare block on our place rather than introducing foreign weed seeds that we never had and don't want uh, across the whole farm. So um, that was Yeah, that's that was a really, yeah. really important point, Troy, because, yeah, to your point, you don't quite know what's coming onto your property. So being mm. able to confine it to one location is a great comment. Thank you. Um, perfect. And so I guess for those watching this, we've got <laughs> some – um, then and now photos that I'll just flick through. Um, how quickly did the season correct and did the um, recovery of revegetation areas and um, and pastures take? And how did how did that play out naturally for you? Well, twenty sixteen, after a really dry start, turned out to be one of the wettest years on record. Um, we're 400 with rainfall and we cracked 600 um, that year. Uh, so once once it did rain, it was a belter of a season really. Um, 
uh, yeah, and and that certainly would have helped. Um, you know, a lot of the trees that were burnt out reshot from the from the stumps, and um, we certainly made sure they were protected. Like we use our scrubs as shade, but um, you know they've been protected for about four years now, and, and are coming back really well. You know, there's trees uh, a couple of meters high, and um, yeah, they're regenerating um, quite nicely. So, uh, if you if you had to dial up the sort of year to have after a fire event, um, a nice wet one is a, is a a good way to go. But obviously, that's um, out of our control. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, looking back on the last four years, but perhaps the two-year intense recovery effort. Um, what did you do to, to stay positive and, and look after yourselves? And for those that are, have that now in front of them, what advice would you have for them about just how to look after themselves in the next few weeks and then thereafter? Nettie, do you have a comment there? Um, yeah, I guess you've got to be really tolerant of each other. Um, you probably each family member is probably going to lose it at some stage or have a short temper or say something that you don't agree with. Or, um, so you just, yeah, be really tolerant. I mean, our family unit, we're all fairly, um, I guess, moderate people and not super, um, not pushovers, but we're not super strong, you know, sort of pushy personality. So I think that that's probably lucky so yeah I guess you do need to be tolerant you have to be really tolerant of the different generations so the way Troy and I responded was very different to Troy's parents we um we just wanted to hook in and get it done and rebuild and you know work 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 um and that was slightly different to how um yeah we processed it in a sort of a different speed I suppose um yeah I think I'm saying this in the wrong order, actually, but number one would be to look after the family unit and especially if you've got children of any age. Um, so um, the kids came first. So at no point, like our youngest daughter, once she left hospital, she had a huge amount of medical appointments um, and that was number one. There were so many other things I could have been doing, but I just never missed a doctor's appointment. You know, we that was priority number one. So, and that should continue to be for people. So, um, yeah, just be a bit patient, I suppose, with each other. Um, one thing right. that we, one thing that we didn't do that I regret um, is we should have had a good holiday sooner. Um, we didn't give ourselves a break and, yeah, we were buggered for a while and if we had shouted ourselves a really good holiday sooner, I think that would have helped. I think it's such an important point. Troy, do you agree with that on reflection? Yeah, I do, yeah. Um, when you're in that sort of um, super busy zone, you, you just constantly think about the next day and the next step and what are we going to do next. Um and you're sort of just pushing through the exhaustion a bit. But um, what might have been better is just just down tools for 
a week or two and just just have a break. Um, it, the the work's still going to be there when you get back, uh, and you come back fresher and energized and um, maybe more effective. Um, yeah. So we didn't do that, but I would encourage um, people to to consider that for sure. Thank you. And Nettie, you mentioned um, that maybe one way that other farmers can support is to offer to look after um, your property while you achieve that break. Um, probably a really useful thought to put in the minds of some people who are looking at how they can um, be of help long term. So um, that's a great insight. Thank you. No Lessons learned, um, Troy and Nettie, you've um, put a few here um, that I'm just going to put up on our PowerPoint, but would you mind speaking to these? Um, having had this experience and to now be four years plus on from it, um, I feel like these lessons are going to be really valuable to those that are directly affected and, again, for those that are, are seeking to support. So would you mind, Nettie, perhaps speaking to these? Sure, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I guess it, our farm was basically a clean slate. We had to fix pretty much every fence and every gateway and lots of water troughs and things like that. So it is good to... Um, look at that clean slate and just before you barrel in and just replace it exactly the same way it was, it is an opportunity to improve um, and you've got to look at it that way. It's this, you know, um, for example, the house that we're in was designed in the 1920s when horses and cart were used So, um, and now we have B-doubles coming. So um, it is an opportunity to look at things in a different way um, and especially for machinery also is that, spray cart you have the right one should you replace it is should you replace your um cedar um with exactly what you had before those sort of things so um and also you can get yeah get professional advice um to help you with that decision or just to give you some other ideas that's we did do that so um yeah and and definitely yeah when you know once in a week or so once Things have set, you know, when, when things are not burning anymore, um, definitely just set some goals, work out who's going to do what, um, and just give yourself an appropriate time frame. So don't expect to do it all in the first month. Um, and I guess um, insurance is critical, so um, you do need to be really careful. Um, everybody will have a, you know, different there'll be different insurance assessors and they'll operate in different ways. This doesn't seem to really be a set template for how you do your insurance claim. Um, so um, I did mine, or I did ours in um, Microsoft Excel because I know how to use it, but you just use, use a version that works for you um, and it's important that everyone's involved in at least having a look at the insurance claim before you send it in to make sure that um, you've got everything on there. And it's less critical if you're grossly underinsured because as long as you can demonstrate that you've reached your limit 
in each of the areas. Um, but if you're really well insured, you do need to be really careful to make sure that you get everything. Because, I mean, there were things that we found six months later, we went to use them, we were like, oh, that's burnt. We didn't, you know, forgot about that tool or whatever. So, yeah, um, be really careful about your insurance and don't rush it. So your comment there, don't rush it, how, how quickly do you think people should be moving on making that claim? Is, is it something that, what do you mean by don't rush, I guess, Nettie, is what I'm asking? Well, I guess, it's, again, it's really personal. So it depends on your farm and what you've lost. Um, uh, um, uh, if it's just fencing, that's something, but, yeah. Ours took a, about, a, about 12 months to finalise the full claim. So wow. it, it okay. came in iterations, in stages, but, um, yeah, uh, just being very thorough and um, going through the fine detail um, maximises your claim but takes time. Yeah, okay. Thank you. Um, and more broadly, when you reflect back perhaps on the amount of support that you got um, how, what, what are some of the lessons more broadly and perhaps more from a personal and social perspective? Um, from a personal perspective, um, so, yeah, I, I guess my message maybe to the fellas would be to, to just look after their... Um, well, look after their health, you know, eat, eat well, don't drink too much, that sort of side of things. But for me personally, after after the first two years and we worked our butts off and things were pretty good, um, you know, we'd achieved a lot of stuff. Um, we'd probably done five years working too, it felt like. Um, and, I, yeah, personally I was, was not very happy. I just... I should have been happy and, and wasn't. And, um, yeah, as it turned out, I, I went to a doctor and, and got diagnosed um, with sort of depression and anxiety and um, uh, got some medication and um, pretty much ever since have been terrific. So um, that's not super easy to sort of share, but I guess that I, I have no doubt there's others out there that might be um, find themselves in a similar boat one, two years down the track um, when things is, have returned to normal and they still should be feeling great and aren't. Um, I definitely encourage them to, to um, get some help with that, look into that um, professionally. Thank you so much for sharing that, Troy, and I, I understand completely that that might be challenging for you to do, um, but I really am grateful that you have. And, again, to our farmers listening that, um, and we are proud people, um, I think it's one thing to accept the support that comes to you, but if you are struggling personally um, in the coming weeks and months, I guess my request of you is that you're brave enough, as Troy was, to reach out and get that professional help just to um, aid you in navigating the road that's ahead. So, yeah, again, Troy, thank you so much for sharing 
um, your experience post your fire. Um, very much appreciated. No worries. I mean, it's it's really about taking ownership of your of your your health, including your mental health. Yep. Yep. Absolutely, and staying above the line, as we say, and staying completely responsible. And it is just so evident the degree to which, um, in these real times of adversity, that you both managed to achieve that. So, well done, um, Nettie. What, what are what? Any other final reflections um, or lessons learned that that you reflect on now? Um. Oh. I think we're pretty proud of ourselves for being able to to get through it. Um, not that I think that we're bulletproof, but I think, you know, we can get through anything because we did that. Um, it brings the community closer. Um, yeah, we're better mates with people in our area than we were before. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the things that your friends do for you just blows your mind and it just gives you a happy feeling. Like you, you're almost, yeah, it's it's um, it's a pretty amazing time really. It's an awful time but it's also an amazing time because you just, your friends just blow you away with, it. friends and family blow you away mm. with the kindness. Um, uh, and just to, just yeah. a, um, a springboard off that, I mean, um you could predict some pretty dire outcomes for communities that have been through these sort of events. Um, the farms we sold, marriages will break up, all those sorts of things. Certainly in our yeah. district, yeah. we thought some of those things could happen. Um, and uh, it's amazing, sort of the, almost the opposite has taken place in that the community sort of banded together and we're probably closer as a community than we than we ever were. Um no one got divorced. No one sold up. Um, uh, yeah, so whilst it might feel like a really dark time right now, um, there is some light out at the other end. And, um, yeah, the, it's amazing what sort of comes out of people in, in these sort of situations. Just, just looking at the, the photos that you've shared about um, how your property has recovered and just to hear the degree to which you've been able to um, continue to grow your um, White Suffolk stud and, and your property, it's such an amazing example of um, that brightness of the future or that light at the end of the tunnel. And so for those who are directly affected and those supporting, um, just lean on that, that you will get through this, you will recover, your community will be stronger for it. Um, and as you said, Nettie, I think that it's an opportunity to change and to improve. Um, and choosing that mindset and that approach to your recovery effort, um, I think you know, it's just so important. So thanks again to you both. It's um, so insightful to hear um, just how you responded. Um, I've heard it said, a mentor of mine talked about the fact that there is post-traumatic stress and there is also post-traumatic growth, but we don't often hear about the latter. We don't hear about post-traumatic growth. And that example of when a tree gets burned, um, how it throws up shoots and limbs from everywhere and just recovers 
exponentially um, compared to the trajectory that it was on is a really useful example, I think, at this time of post-traumatic growth. Um, so growth can be exponential on the other side of a major trauma. And so I guess what I'm suggesting there, as Troy and Nettie have shared with us today, that um, to some degree you get to choose post-traumatic growth and you know, exponential recovery perhaps more than the alternative. And so, um, again, for those listening, just want to encourage you to do what you need to do to look after yourselves um, and to um, choose post-traumatic growth perhaps than the alternative. So, Troy and Nettie, just um, in finishing, to those that have been affected, um, what, would, what would you say to them in these days and weeks that follow, I guess, and the shock that they might be feeling right now and the, the challenge that they're um, navigating? What, what sort of final comment would you have for, I guess, those members of our community directly affected? I, I'd just say, um, as best you can, look after yourself and look after those around you, your family and friends. Um, and I, I'd just say that it must, it, it feels like a very dark time at the moment, potentially, um, and you might be feeling how we're going to get through this. Um, but if you if you can focus on some things into the future, um, set some goals, um, things will get better, things will improve. Uh, and like Jeremy said, you, you, you might actually find exponential growth. You might actually um, find that your, your property uh, it is, is better and improved um, as a result of the things that you do post-recovery. So that's probably me. Thank you, Troy. And, and Nettie, from you? Um, yeah, we'll echo Troy's comments, really. But, yeah, family's number one. You've really got to keep that as your number one priority over everything else. Um, and a farm is still a business, so you need to make really careful, calculated decisions about your business. So don't, especially once you've got your insurance money, be really, really careful about how you spend that and spend that in the wisest possible way. Um, insurance payouts, it's a taxable, it's seen as taxable income. So you're allowed to average that over five years, but it is, yeah, um, I don't agree with it. it, shouldn't be taxable income really, but you do need to definitely involve um, your accountant um, and definitely get professional advice on um, if you need to rebuild your farm, just to get some other ideas. Um, but, yeah, going back to it, family's number one. Thank you, Nettie. Wonderful comments again. I guess reflecting on our conversation, I guess the other key insight for me is just to remind people to embrace the support that will come your way um, and to be open to um, letting that in and, um, and then, if needed, to seek the support Proactive, proactively that you need so that you can um, navigate what's ahead with resilience and with real strength. Um, Troy and Nettie, thank you so much. I think at this time it is just so significant um, to hear your story and, and to understand your journey post 
November 2015. And I can only um, predict that those directly affected are just going to get so much value from hearing your recovery effort and the way in which you navigated that. Um, and also those supporting people directly affected, there are some wonderful ideas in what you've shared as to how to turn up now and how to turn up ongoing in order to best support um, those families and friends that are in our community that have been um, affected by these recent fires. So to you both, again, I'm very grateful for your time. It's been a wonderful conversation and thank you so much for sharing your story. You're welcome. A pleasure. So thank you all for joining us. Um, all the best now as you navigate 2020. Encourage you to take some time to reset and refocus as we launch into 2020. And let's hope for that um, significant rainfall event, Troy, that you mentioned as the perfect way in which to um, set up and recover from the fires that have um, transpired in recent times. Mm. Thank you, ladies and gents. Um, thank you again, Troy and Nettie, and all the best for January and for 2020 and bye for now.